Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host Sam Brooks and I'm joined by Raphael Jukabin, Tom Serra, Jake Smalley and James Brook. Thanks for joining me guys. No problem. Thanks for having us Sam. Okay, so only one place to start after what happened over the weekend, and that's the Milan derby. And um, a bit of a rare victory in this fixture in terms of recent times um, for AC Milan, who picked up the 2-1 win. Going to come to you first, Raphael. What, what did you make of the game? Yeah, it was interesting because I think a lot of people did have doubts about Milan because they, even, even though they did, start, they did start off with a 100% record, they won their first three games they were relatively simple fixtures to sort of navigate through. So I think this was this was really the big test for Pioli just to see whether that momentum really meant something, whether he could carry it on to the big games. And I think in terms of game management he's he's proved that he can he can guide Milan through these through these big games. We saw that in the in the in the in the uh with the post uh, post lockdown part of part of last season as well. So I mean, it's definitely it's it's a very encouraging result for Milan, especially um, definitely a morale boosting result as well after after not winning in the derby for that long. So I mean, it, show, it shows that they will be competing at the sort of around the top of the table, not maybe maybe not um, as as title contenders just yet, but it shows that they are progressing this season. Yeah, I wanted to come to you uh, next, James. It's interesting, Raphael touched on that at the end. I saw Fabio Capello coming out over the past day or so saying that Milan could actually challenge for the Scudetto this season. Uh, perhaps with the added variable of no crowd, or, or limited crowd at least, um, do you think perhaps that has played into their hands um, with maybe a little less pressure than what they've had in recent years? And do you think that maybe they could keep this up for the whole year? Yeah, I, I mean, well, last time we spoke, I said that I was firmly in the camp that I think Milan could be maybe on the verge of something special. And I think Rafa's obviously right there that they, they did navigate the, you know, it was a fairly simple first few fixtures for them, but they navigated it really well. You know, it's easy on paper to look at the teams in play and say, well, you know, OK, they haven't really beaten anybody, but they didn't concede a goal in those games. They look a lot more solid than we've maybe been used to. Um, and I think this was a really, really important game for them, not just obviously because of the the opponent and obviously the, everything that surrounds that, but also because I think there were some question marks about whether they could, uh, you know, they've not beaten anybody, whether they could step up to one of the bigger boys. And, you know, it, it wasn't a problem for them. And I, and I really do like the look of that kind of, I mean, Leao's really like a new signing almost. He didn't really settle in last year. So I really like the look of that kind of youthfulness that they've got. Leao one side, Salamak is the other. You know, they've got quite a young spine with Donnarumma. Uh, Kessie's looking a real player now. And Ben Asser as well looks like he can control the midfield. Um, Tonali hasn't really even played a part yet so I think yeah you're right without the, the fans being there as well because it can turn quite toxic um, when they're not playing well so yeah I think they're just rolling they're using that momentum that they gathered from the end of last season and I don't really see why they, they couldn't sustain that the only thing that I think may stop them is, is obviously I think the over-reliance on Ibrahimovic I think is is still there and you know if they do go deep into Europe I'm not sure they possibly don't have the squad to, to deal with that but yeah long may it continue at the moment it's great to have them competitive and, and to see them doing so well I think. 
Yeah, I think I think a lot of people have been very impressed with Milan. Obviously, the, the goal they conceded on the weekend was actually the first they conceded all season in the league. So, seemed to be um, seemed to be seemed to be uh, focusing very much on building from the back. Um, yeah. Jake, I want to come to you for an Inter perspective, um, and I think most people at the start of the season expected Inter to, to be Juve's main rivals for the title this season. Uh, but so far, they've had perhaps a slightly fortuitous win against Fiorentina um, and then uh, as well a draw against Lazio and then losing the Milan derby. Um, should Conte be a bit worried? Um, I think Conte should be worried about himself, um, to be honest with you. Uh, I think the fact that he doesn't use Ericsson is a real concern. I think the game on Saturday night was really crying out for some Christian Ericsson just to create something a bit more for them. Uh, I think Milan were the better team in the first half. 100% but I think a draw overall would have been a fair result um, and I think the only thing that stopped them from that was Kolarov you know in terms of his mistakes in the first half uh, but in the second half they were missing that bit of creativity and his over-reliance should I say on older players and a bit of favouritism towards certain players lets him down but uh, let's not forget as well um, there's no Milan Skriniar there was no Bastoni in defence on Saturday night. I think both of those have done a better job of keeping tabs on Ibrahimovic. I mean, for the record, Zlatan was absolutely superb. And he just keeps on defying the odds. But um, I do worry a little bit for Inter. And I worry from an Inter perspective in terms of Conte. I just think he's too stubborn for his own good. Uh, I think he, he's, he's too over-reliant on certain players. He's a little bit too inflexible as well. So... Um, it'll be interesting to see how they get out of the Champions League because I think that's something they really do need to improve this year as well uh, I still think they'll finish in the top four whichever way it goes so hopefully have a crack at the title from their point of view um, but a real measure of progress of how they do in the Champions League and Gladbach at home is possibly the easiest fixture they've got in the group so far so be interesting to see how they bounce back on Wednesday yeah, I think you made an interesting point there with uh, Inter were missing a couple of uh, key defenders. Uh, they had a, they had a number of COVID cases over the past week, so um, perhaps that sort of caveat does does need to be taken into consideration. Certainly, okay. So from two teams that may be challenging to the for the title to another two who played this weekend, and that was Napoli Atalanta. Uh, Tom Napoli came out with a four one win. Uh, scored four in 20 minutes in the first half. Um, a stunning display from them. Uh, what did you make of their performance? And um, and could, could they uh, realistically challenge for the Scudetto, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it was an unbelievable performance from Napoli. And I think when you look at the scoreline, you, would, you wouldn't be, you would be less surprised if, you know, if Atalanta scored four and Napoli scored one, that would have been more predictable in a way based on Atalanta's recent performances. Napoli played really well. However, I do think that Atalanta do have certain issues when coming up against bigger teams, uh, which we haven't really seen before. So, for example, when you when you look at uh, Lozano's first goal, Politano's goal, and then Osman's goal to a certain extent as well, they weren't really closing down. So even though that they have bodies behind the ball, they are not necessarily aggressive enough uh, in getting in front of players and making a tackle, which may be an issue when they do face tougher opposition and uh, tougher defences when they, when they are not able to score as many goals as they would like. 
And the, the other issue that I thought uh, is that they didn't really have a plan B. So Napoli went into halftime winning 4-0 with a 4-0 lead. But when Atalanta came back, there wasn't that spark wasn't really there. They got one goal back. But at the same time, it just wasn't really coming together. So Napoli were still pushing for a fifth in the second half. Atalanta were not able to assert their dominance in the game. So I think they do need to have sort of a defensive strategy to deal against bigger teams that they will face in the future, both in Serie A and the Champions League. Yeah, I think the, I think this was a bit of an unexpected setback for Atalanta. Um, Raphael, I'm going to come to you next. Um, they have been, as usual, excellent going forwards this season. Um, but they have now conceded nine in their first four Serie A games. If they are to challenge for the title, and I think some people think that they are quite well placed to do so this season, do you think their defence could be their Achilles heel once more? I think, I think their defence will always be their, their Achilles heel, but it's sort of the trade-off that, you have to, that they have to accept for, uh, for sort of playing the way they do. I mean, the fact that they're so... I mean, maybe not over the weekend, but usually the fact that they're so gung-ho in attack and just just their sort of fearless style of play does mean that they're going to they're gonna leave, you know, they're going to leave gaps in the defence. And I think if they were to sort of shore up their defence, then they would have to sacrifice some element of the the way they attack and just the way that the reason why we love to watch them play. So I, I think... You know, they're they're they I wouldn't say bad defense, but the their inconsistent defending is sort of part and parcel of of the way Gasparini plays. And at the same time, they did come up against a team that attacked and pressed very intensely for what for pretty much just half an hour. But it was, it was they made that half an hour count. I mean, the way Ossiman was playing. It really shows that he's, he has slotted in perfectly into the into the Napoli lineup. The way he's the way he's completely sort of synchronised in a way with the other attackers in the way that they press forward is really impressive. And the, just the way they were sort of pressing pressing the Atalanta defence to to pick up the ball. So it didn't. I think it was more of an off performance for Atalanta. I don't think it's going to define their season. So to speak, I think it's more of a reflection on the way that Gattuso has really just set up a very, a very effective style of play. It's very intense in short bursts, um, which I think will make them title contenders as well. To be honest, yeah, I think um, I think a lot of people were touching on how just the intensity that Napoli brought to that game on the weekend. Uh, perhaps he, perhaps caught Atalanta a little by surprise there. Um, Jake, do you think their performance had anything to do with the fact that they'd um, forfeited the game against Juventus? You know, that decision had been made official during the week before and perhaps they felt that they had a point to prove that, that they're really serious contenders this season. Uh, quite possibly, yeah. Um, I think I mentioned it last time we were on the podcast um, I was quite clear on saying I thought they'd definitely finish top four but having seen the way that they blew Atalanta away uh, I mean like the boys have just mentioned Atalanta are quite weak defensively and like Raphael said it is the trade-off for the fact that they're so good going forward 
But you can't take anything away from Napoli's performance. I thought they were absolutely brilliant. The system they've got in place, like the sheer intensity, the fitness, the attacking, you know, pressing all the time. That's the first thing on the mind to get that ball back on touch stuff. They're really excellent. And I think Juve are really, really fortunate, to be honest with you. I think at the time, and I'm sure Juventus fans will you know, all agree and even play the management team will agree, this won't be the time that they wanted to play in Napoli. Um, so I think Napoli probably were a bit more fired up. But I think I'd have fancied Napoli to beat Juventus anyway. I don't think it's anything um, that you know special that they've raised the game. I think they definitely would have beaten them if they'd have played them. And that just shows you where this Napoli team are at. Um, I don't think they've got anyone to fear or anything to fear. I think Atalanta are one of the teams who do sort of strike fear in the division. And they swatted them aside with uh, pretty much ease, really. So I don't think anybody will want to play Napoli at the moment. Not at all. Yeah, and so moving on from Napoli, and, and as you said there, Juventus did benefit from that forfeited result, which has caused so much controversy over the past couple of weeks. Um, but Juventus themselves could only draw one all uh, on Saturday night against Crotone, a bit of a shock result. Obviously, Juventus without Cristiano Ronaldo, who recently tested positive for coronavirus. What, what do you make of their start under Pirlo so far, James? Um, should he be worried about uh, their start to the season, having only picked up one win from their first three games that they've actually played? Um, I, I don't think he needs to be worried. I think it's difficult, isn't it, with Juventus? Because they've got so used to... Uh, to, I know last year was a little bit, little bit more difficult for them, but they've got so used to to expecting to win almost every week that you know it, any kind of setback feels feels massive. Um, so I, I don't think he needs to be worried. I think that they need to recognise it, and the Juventus fans and and Perlo himself as well. I think they need to recognise it for what it is, and that's a a young manager, a very, very rookie manager in terms of, even in terms of his age, his, his experience is very limited. I think they need to realise and, you know, take it as it is. That is the situation. This is the direction that they've wanted to go for. Uh, it's a very conscious decision, obviously, to appoint somebody with with such little experience. So I think there will be patience in that. And I, and I think, although it's a, it is a poor result on the face of it, I think... It, the circumstances that, that you've kind of mentioned, missing Ronaldo um, and so on, I think I think it, obviously it's not a good result, but I, I don't think there's anything really too much to worry about for Juventus. I think the, the main thing that they do need to worry about in terms of the title is obviously that the contenders look much stronger this season. Um, I agree with the lads there with Napoli, the firepower that they've got. Um, it, it's incredible, really, to swat aside an Atalanta side who, who are so full of swagger often. So uh, Milan obviously looking good as well. Um, Inter obviously going to be there or thereabouts. So I, I think the main worry is that they might stagnate or maybe slightly go backwards under Perlo. Um, and that might be something that they've kind of planned for in a way, but the worry is that it, it goes too far backwards um, and they allow teams to, to overtake them so quickly. Um, so I don't think he needs to be worried, but certainly they, they do need to start picking up some wins over the next kind of few games, really. Yeah, and, and one other player who wasn't involved uh, this weekend, although... Um, he, he's nearing a return. Is, is Paolo Dybala? There's mm. there's talk um, about his contract talk stalling at the club. Um, Tom, should this be a worry considering that he was Syria MVP last season? And could you see him maybe 
leaving Juventus for pastures for pastures new um, at some point in the near future? I think it really depends on on how Juventus do work in the in Europe and how they do domestically as well under Pirlo. I think it really depends as also whether he's on board with Pirlo's philosophy at the club because he is a very good player. But I think, you know, based on recent performances, you know, even though Dybala is an important player, I think when they were playing against Corona, he wasn't necessarily the one missing. So I think Juventus fans may be worried about that, but I think the way they've dealt this summer... I think it shouldn't be that much of a setback losing Dybala in like an extreme scenario when if he goes. Because for example, we, I remember we were discussing the way, you know, Morata has played at all these big clubs but hasn't really established himself. But, you know, he scored uh, the weekend. I'm just checking like live score at the moment and he just scored against Dinamo Kiev as we're recording. So, you know, if the new signings are able to perform, then they would be able to continue being successful without him. However, I think, yeah, it mostly depends on whether he's on board with Pirlo's philosophy and whether Juventus can meet his uh, demands. Yeah, it's been a very interesting couple of years for Dybala. Obviously struggled uh, in Allegri's final season, then flourished under Sarri last year. Um, and we're yet to see how he does on his return from injury under Pirlo. So on to another team who have been... You know, one of Juve's uh, biggest um, rivals in recent years, although have sort of fallen off the pace the past 18 months or so, and that's Roma. Um, they made hard work of it at times on the weekend, but eventually won 5-2 against Benevento. Um, Raphael, you know, but for that administrative error against Verona on the opening day, they would be unbeaten so far this season. Um how, how do you think they're getting on and, and, and where can they realistically finish this year? I think as it stands, I think they'll probably finish around the Europa League places. I think they've, they've managed to get the sort of chemistry. Uh, the, the chemistry and attack between the likes of Mkhitaryan and Dzeko is working very well for them. And I'm impressed as well by him, by Veritu in the midfield as a sort of... Um, he's been performing very well. And the fact that they've, got, um, they've managed to get Chris Spalling back on board um, on a permanent transfer as well, which is very, which is which is crucial really for them, especially because defensively there were a few issues in the uh, in the opening few games of the season. So I think they have got all the all the sort of pieces in place to have a good have a good stab at getting that Europa League place. I don't think they can go any further than that because the squad is quite limited in. Um, not not in terms of not in terms of ability, but the fact that they are relying on essentially older players, um, at least at least until um, until Zaniola returns, which will which will probably be about mid season. So I think until that until then they have got they've got the um, sort of the bare bones of a squad that can that can do that can do decently well, but. Any anything further than that, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how Roma pan out. I think a lot of people were concerned for them at the start of the season, but they do seem to have got back on track 
uh, over across the city to their closest rivals, Lazio, who have not had a good start to the season. Um, had a heavy defeat a few weeks back to Atalanta and they were beaten 3-0 on the weekend by Sampdoria. Jake, I wanted to get your thoughts on Lazio. They've been very unfortunate with injuries at the moment um, and with European fixtures coming up. Do you worry for them um, that, that their sort of lack of squad depth is going to be exposed in the run-up to Christmas now? Yeah, ma- massively so. Um, I think... Inzaghi's put a really good team together there on very, very little money. And uh, we saw what they were capable of last season. That strong starting eleven, that system with the wing-backs, uh, three defenders and, you know, Immobile being fed by Correa and um, Alberto and having Milinkovic-Savic in behind. When they are all on form and that starting eleven is on the pitch, they're a match for anybody. But when you start to take a couple of those players out, and you look at the players who you've got coming in, that's when you've got a bit of a problem. And I think if you look at this summer, the recruitment that they've made when you compare to the other teams that were up there with them last season, um, it's it's much, much weaker. You know, like Pike Pro coming in from Serie B, you know, that's sort of the benchmark of, you know, the recruitment process at the minute. And I know the fans have been really, really frustrated and really, really outspoken about that. And it's really understandable this year. I think in, in the past, you know, they've gone 13 years without Champions League football. So to expect them to spend big money on players, you know, when you can't offer that, is a little bit of an unreasonable request. But with Champions League football on offer, um, they should be trying to entice sort of stronger players to build a bit of a squad if they're serious about making it, you know, a regular occurrence that they are in the Champions League, that they are going to challenge for the, for the Scudetto. And I think the players themselves must find a little bit of, you know, might find it a little bit hard to find it, you know, a little bit of motivation. Um, to drag themselves up there like they did last season. You know, when they see a few of the players around them that hold the team together missing, you know, and they think, well, we've not really got anybody who can step in and do that job. And the manager probably earns, you know, a bit of backing as well. He's done an absolutely exceptional job since he's gone there. You know, he's even delivered them a trophy you know, with a Coppa Italian. Uh, it's just really, really frustrating time to be a Lazio fan, I think. You know, they've got back to the promised side of the Champions League, you know, but they fell off a cliff at the back end of last season. They probably should have come close to win the league. And this year, it's not really gone to plan. I think the players are tired and they're going to pay the price for not recruiting properly. Yeah, it does seem that way. I think I think there are um, quite a few concerns for Lazio over the coming weeks, particularly in defence. They seem to really be at the bare bones already. Um, James, I, I don't want to ignore their opponents from the weekend. Uh, Sampdoria. Sampdoria lost their first two games of the season. Quite a timid performance against Juventus and then lost after being 2-0 up against Benevento. But they've won their last two games. Um, Qualiarella's back scoring. Ranieri is manager. How do you feel they're going to fare um, as the season progresses? Well, yeah, I mean, when you asked, when you asked me that the last time... Uh, was on on the pod I actually tipped them possibly to go down um so uh yeah I, I wasn't particularly confident to be honest and I think the first the opening couple of games kind of backed that up um but they they were fantastic I mean obviously Lazio have were very depleted um and the confidence looks low but I thought the left back in particular um Algello was absolutely brilliant it's a couple of really really good deliveries the first one for the for the Quagliarella goal and then the and then he got a great a great goal himself so 
yeah, I, I did think they might struggle, um, and they might well still do. Um, but it's yeah, you can't argue with a with a three nil against Lazio, and, and there's definitely a strong base for them to push on there, which would be great to see because you know it's a it's a, it's a very good club, Sampdoria, and it'd be great to see them kind of push on back towards the European places as well. So anything that can make for a, a more competitive league, I think, is is a positive definitely. And yeah, I mean, like I say, I might still be right; they might still struggle. I'm not sure how much longer Ranieri can really uh, go on. In, in this kind of way really I keep expecting him to be winding up and then he comes back but yeah I mean like I say anything that, that makes for a more competitive lead then it's yeah long may it continue and Quagliarella what can you say he just just keeps on going keeps on going yeah he, he um you know moving towards his late 30s now but uh already picked up a few goals this season um, okay, so next part of the show, I want to dedicate to the high-scoring classics that we had over the weekend. And first of all, Tom, um, we had Sassuolo coming back from 3-1 down against Bologna to win 4-3. They've had an excellent start to the season. Um, they've been labelled as a sort of mini-Atalanta, given their outstanding attacking play. Um, could, could they be pushing for Europa League spot this season, do you think? I think it's very early to talk about Europa League just yet. They haven't, you know, really played the big teams uh, as of yet. So, but they did score four goals in the la in the last three games. So, but even though like two of those games were against Spezia and Crotone, who just got promoted, that's still very impressive. But yeah, when looking at the team, I think one player I really want to pick out is Berardi. He's really grown, like made the step up. Like he's been constantly improving year on year. And I think this is the year that he's really truly established himself as, you know, one of the, you know, Serie A players to look out for. And I don't know, maybe, you know, in the next transfer window, he might get a move away. We don't know. But yeah, he's been very impressive uh, scoring goals and just uh, assisting. His work ethic is very good as well. Yeah, I think... Um... I think a lot of people are really impressed by Sassuolo at the moment. With that front three of Berardi, Caputo and Boga, um, they're going to they're give a lot of teams problems this season. But, but as you say, st still early days. Uh, Raphael, I'm going to come to you next. And we, we had a game between two sides who've struggled so far this season, Torino and Cagliari. Uh, Cagliari came out with a 3-2 win, meaning that Torino are rock bottom so far, although they have played a game less. Marco Giampaolo already under pressure. Do you fear for him? You know, only three games in, but do you, do you fear for his future already? I do, I do, because it doesn't look like he's recovered from his spell at Milan. And we're seeing, at Torino, we're, we're essentially seeing the same, same problems as we have been for the last few years, where they are too dependent on Belotti, who, you know, he's, he's a great player, but he can't carry that team on his, on his shoulders. The the he um Giampaolo hasn't been able to sort of impose the style of play that he did have at Sampdoria on his other teams, and it's led to just having a having a leaky defense. Really, um, you know the fact that the fact that Simeone and Joao Pedro were able to were able to sort of exploit that showed it, and um, I think I think it is good for Cagliari that they are they are sort of finding their feet under Di Francesco. Um, I don't think they're going to reach the heights of the first first half of last season, but I think what that performance does show is that they're going to be they're going to be solidly mid table at least, and able to sort of um, 
Well, it's at least not been uh, not been a relegation fight. Yeah, and then and then on uh, on then on uh, Sunday evening we had another classic Udinese against Parma. Udinese won three two uh, to get their first win of the season. Uh, but both sides have only won one of their first four games, losing the other three. Jake, do, do you feel that both of those teams will will be down there? Uh, battling relegation this season, or do you think they they could have further aspirations? Obviously, we saw Palmer finishing mid-table last year, but it seems they have weakened uh, somewhat over the past couple of months. Uh, I think I could agree with that. Um, I think Palmer are going to miss Kulosevsky massively. So, I mean, that goes without saying. He's he's gone into Juventus' team and made that better. You know, they're the best team in the league. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I think Palmer are weaker. I think in the dugout they're weaker as well. Um, I quite like Liverani for what he did at Lecce, but his gung-ho football can only take them so far. You know, they, they were always on the cars to get relegated last year. They couldn't stop conceding goals. And he's finding the same problems already at Palmer. Um, and whereas they don't have the Kulosevsky to bail them out at parts of the season, they're really, really struggling. Uh, although I will say I do like the sign of Wallen Cyprian from Nice. I think that's a really clever signing for the midfield. Uh, if he can adapt, I think that'll uh, be a really good uh, piece of recruitment. But uh, I'm really disappointed as, as a purist. Uh, I'd love to see Palmer doing well. You know, you can't help but look back and look at the 90s team. You know, either on De Crespo, De Chiesas and Cannavaro's and people like that. You know, you want to see Palmer doing well, but I think it's a mistake swapping Diversa for Liverani. I don't think it's going to upgrade in any way. Uh, I don't really understand the rationality behind that. And like I've said, you know, missing Kulosevsky is massive. Uh, in terms of Udinese, I think they're, they're a real strange proposition. Uh, they look useless the first couple of games, I thought. And looking at the squad, you know, you're a bit sort of like, well, there's a few ex-Watford players in there. What else have they got? But big picture, they've kept hold of Paul, and that's absolutely crucial. You know, I, I think he could pretty much get into any other Serie A team. I think he's a really good player. Uh, I've, I've no idea what he's still doing there, to be honest. Um, but they signed Delafeu as well from Watford. And how motivated he'll be, and what you get from him is inconsistency. But if he can adapt, they've got a good player in there. Um, so I, I think it's just a case of waiting a couple more games. I do think both of those sides will definitely finish bottom half. How close the relegations on, I'm not so sure. I think we'll have to wait and see over the next few weeks just to see how they get on. See for Dunez if it's not just a flash in the pan. And if Palmer can learn to defend. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, but long may this great entertaining football that we saw continue. Uh, and there, there was another really good game. And I, I wanted to dedicate a small section of the show <coughs> to that game. And that was uh, Spezia coming back from 2-0 down to get a point against, <coughs> against Fiorentina. Um, and James, I wanted to come to you because I think a lot of people really thought that Fiorentina could push on this season. But after winning their opening game, that hasn't materialised. What do you what do you make of them? And, and do you think that uh, Iacchini, um is on, is in trouble there um, already? Given that you know Mauricio Sarri's even been linked with that job, I think he is in trouble. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's kind of more of the same, isn't it? From Fiorentina is. I mean, they raced into a lead, didn't they? But it's, they, they just never really look as if they're, they're going to 
you never they never look convincing you know you're always expecting them to to kind of blow it um i, I do think Iacini's on on kind of borrowed time a little bit and whether that's fair or not i'm i'm not really sure but obviously yeah you, you mentioned sari there i know spalletti's been kind of thrown around as well which would be interesting to see but yeah, I, you can only credit Spezia, really. It's it's a fantastic fight back and, and they'll take incredible confidence from that. But from a Fiorentina point of view, it is incredibly frustrating. The defending for the two goals was absolutely appalling. Um, so, you know, we, there hasn't been a lot of goals this weekend, but, you know, you look at some of the defending in, in more kind of detail and, and it really was poor. Um, so, yeah, incredibly frustrating. Obviously, Chiesa's gone now. I know there was some debate about whether that can actually be a good thing for them, um, you know, bearing in mind his kind of attitude and, and things like that. But I think there was hope going into this season and, and they started well, but it, it, it seems to be more of the same from them, really. So, yeah, maybe a change of coach is needed. Like I say, whether that's fair or not, who knows? Uh, he, he came in and did a decent job at the back in the last season. But, yeah, they need, they need better results than the one they got this weekend, that's for sure. Yeah, I think, uh, and, and, and well done for crediting Spezia definitely as well. I think a lot of people thought they were really going to struggle this season, but already one win and one draw from their opening four games. So they've made a pretty solid start, actually. They have, yeah, they yeah. have. Um, so final section of the show, I just want to touch on um, the European games getting underway this week. Uh, by the time this podcast is available, uh, the group stage will be well underway. So, um, Tom, I wanted to come to you about the Champions League. Um, who do you feel has the toughest group out of the Italian sides? And, and do you expect all of Serie A's teams to progress beyond the group stage? Well, I think Atalanta has the hardest group. So they've been placed with Ajax, Liverpool and Michelin. I think Liverpool will definitely top the group. However, I think Ajax and Atalanta will have to battle it out uh, for second place. I don't know, based on, you know, last the weekend's result, I'm not sure how... Um, Atalanta will go into their fixture this week. They'll be playing um, Michelin, which is a nice start. But I think the fixtures against Ajax will be definitely critical and also just getting points against Liverpool. And I think Inter Milan's uh, group with Real Madrid could be very interesting. It really depends how Mönchengladbach will play in their, in their campaign in Europe. So that's because they had such a really good campaign last season in the Bundesliga and I wonder if the momentum will carry on into the Champions League this year. So Inter Milan could potentially get a shot, but it's definitely Atalanta, yeah. Yeah, and, and have you got anything more to add, James, with, with regards to any sort of uh, fixtures you're looking forward to or do, or do you particularly worry for any of the Italian sides in the Champions League this year? I mean, Atalanta-Liverpool is obviously a mouth-watering kind of a matchup and um, especially with with you know the added obviously Virgil van Dijk's going to be missing um it's going to be you can't see anything other than a goal fest that really so that should be lots of fun i think the important thing is for for atalanta and also for inter is getting off to a good start just because i think it, it can be so crucial in these group stages the the kind of the um the way the fixtures go so 
Inter, I think, have got that middle block, the two games against Real Madrid, um, one after another. And I think Atalanta have got the same against Liverpool. So it's, it's important that both of those really can, can pick up some early points and because they're obviously the hardest games in the group and, you know, quite conceivably you could lose both of those and then you're kind of in trouble. So I think it's important that those two in particular can get off to a good start. I worry a little bit for Lazio um, because they do look tired. Uh, They do look, you know, they're not a shadow of what they were last season and and it can make all the difference those early games, especially now that it's it's every week that, that they're playing the Champions League. You know, you don't have that break, you don't have that time to to get form back in the league. You have to kind of hit the ground running, and I'd, obviously the way the shape they're in at the moment. I mean, all teams will look at those groups and think, well, yeah, we can get through. Um, but I think Lazio, Zenit are a team, easy team to underestimate. Um, and Bruges have been around the block a few times in the Champions League as well. So, I mean, to be honest, I think I would be surprised if Lazio do get through that group. Um, but then again, they will fancy the chances it could have gone much worse for them as well. So, I think obviously Atalanta um, have a have a very tough group. But I think a lot depends on on how how they start and how they. Um, you know, if if they can match up Liverpool as well, but yeah, we'll see. Exciting, and it's great to see. It's great to see Lazio back um, after yeah, thirteen years. Um, obviously, Atalanta will have a little bit more uh, now after last year's kind of the way it all went, and uh, you'd expect them to maybe come back a little bit more uh, battle hardened. So I think they, they've all got a chance, but I think equally it could go either way. It's, it, it, could, it looks like very open groups, really. So yeah, we'll see how it how it all pans out. Yeah, I think it's, it's very interesting you touch on um, how important the start is because, of course, last year Atalanta actually lost their first game 4-0 yeah. against Dynamo Zagreb and, and in the end had to rescue it in the final yeah. three fixtures. So, um, they lost the first three, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. Hopefully they can yeah. do it a little bit easier this year, but, but we shall see. Um, so then, Raphael, I want to come to you for the Europa League. Obviously, we've got um, Napoli, Roma and Milan representing uh, Italy in that one. Um, do you expect all three teams to um, to get through the group stage? And, and who do you see as going furthest out of the three Italian teams? I think in terms of the group stages, the the team that's probably got the most straightforward path to knockout rounds is, uh, is Roma. When you look at the, the opponents that they have in their group, um, Cluj, Sofia, and um, young boys who are all who all should be should be beatable for for Roma, and then I mean looking down, Napoli might have a slightly trickier group um, on paper because I think AZ Alkmaar and Rijeka should be should be beatable, but then you have Real Sociedad who have, have actually been impressing in La Liga so far. They're actually top of the table right now. Um, they've got a really exciting attack and very solid defence. And I think they might cause some issues for Napoli. So that's, that's definitely one to look out for. And then in terms, then I'd say Milan have the toughest the toughest group. Um, I think Celtic, Lille and Sparta Prague are, are going to be, all three of them are going to be tough tests. Um, Celtic, even if they haven't been doing that well recently, are, are you know, for any team, they're going to be, they're going to be a tough, um, a tough opponent. I think Lille, who are also top of their their respective league, and they've been they've been impressing in uh, in Ligue 1 so far, and Sparta Prague as well, who are sort of they're a sort of fixture in these um in these European competitions. They've got the experience, 
So I think Milan, even though Milan have the toughest group, I think if they do, if they do get out of it, then they've they've also got the um the the well the best chances of going further really because they do have a lot of depth in their squad and they will be able to sort of manage these um these sort of Europa League and Serie A fixtures coming coming thick and fast. Yeah, I think um obviously Milan have already had to have a few games just to get through to the group stage, so that'll be interesting. Um Jake, just the final thing then. Uh, I think it's always quite interesting to see how seriously um, Italian teams take the Europa League. So, some teams don't really worry about it until it gets to that sort of knockout stage where the finish line's in sight. Do you think that all three of those sides will take it fairly seriously and, and see it as a realistic chance of silverware? Or do, do you expect them to take the league as the clear main priority and, and yeah, to, to maybe push for the Europa League if they get to the knockout stage in the new year? I think it's become that the league's always the priority for teams that end up in the Europa League. Uh, I think everybody's goal is to finish in the top four and finish in the Champions League. Uh, the reason people want to take the Europa League seriously at the back end of the tournament is because there's that place in the Champions League uh, on offer. So I think Roma are possibly the team who could do a take it the most serious. I think they'll finish below uh, Milan and Napoli in the league this season so I think they ought to take it quite serious uh, I think their group's definitely you know pretty winnable which should get them a favourable draw in the next round uh, but for all teams you know silverware is not something that you know the three of them experienced a lot of I know Napoli won the Coppa Italia last season but silverware is silverware especially European silverware um, you know I think Inter were massively disappointed not to win it last season when they got so close so uh, I don't see if they've got anything to lose I think with what's on offer European final uh, I don't see any teams in there that you think wow you know what a scalp I think Napoli is good as any team in the, in the competition so uh, I think all three of them ought to give it you know a, a proper go uh, there's no reason not to even if it's just to focus on having that guaranteed Champions League place at the end of it yeah, well, the games <clears throat> do promise to come thick and fast. Obviously, you've got to cram all the group games in before <clears throat> before Christmas. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it all pans out. And, and before you know it, the knockout stages will be back upon us. OK, thanks for joining me, guys. That, that concludes another episode. Uh, hope everyone enjoys it. And uh, we'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye.